Cat and Moose podcast. I'm Cat and I'm Moose. This is a true life podcast where we explore the quirks of being human. <laughs> so Sarah says, "Okay, Moose, are you good?" And Moose says, "Well, yeah, I can hear me." <laughs> hey, look, it's the little things, guys. Hey, I got my Shag Nasty t-shirt in the mail this week. You did? I did. I got two colors. I got a blue one and like kind of a purplish burgundy one. And I think it is so awesome. I love my cat and moose merch swag. I'm and I'm so proud to wear it. <laughs> Can you go get your Shag Nasty t-shirt? Really? I want to see it. Okay, hang on. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Oh my God. That's amazing. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. So coronavirus uh, 2020, more sex or less sex? What do you think is going on in the world? <laughs> uh, I would like to hope for more. But what do you really think? Well, I mean, I think... People are more stressed, so they probably need more, <laughs> but they might be also using it as an excuse <laughs> for not having any. <laughs> so maybe it depends on the length of the relationship. I'm not sure. So is it your opinion that that sex is a stress reliever? 100%. <laughs> and I mean, I've all, these are all just... I mean, it's things I've read. I mean, it's not like... You've read that sex is a stress reliever during COVID-19. No, in general, 100% it is. It's oh. like going for a run. Oh, that to me, like the two physically do not feel the same to me. <laughs> well, that's fair. Okay, I'm talking about like after exercise where you're... You, <laughs> from a... Okay. I'm saying that you may not want to go do it, but once you've done it, you're glad you have. <laughs> it's a really broad generalization. <laughs> I would guarantee that um, most women would agree. They would agree with what? That sex is like taking a jog? <laughs> no, that sex is like exercise in that you kind of have to work yourself into it. But once you've done it, you're glad you have. <laughs> I think we need to hear some outside opinions on this. So if you have an opinion about the volume of sex happening during COVID-19, we would love to hear it. Hello at catandmoosepodcast.com. <laughs> I want to hear about anyone having sexual relations right now. I think that's I want to hear about anyone who's having a good time right now. I know. Like <laughs> I feel like I am on the edge of utter insanity. Someone give us some good news. Somebody give us some good news. I've got some good news. I learned something this week in therapy. What's that? I learned that the brainstem is the very first part of your body that forms in the when you're a fetus. Oh, that feels familiar to me. I didn't know that Does I know it? that, but I could, I, that, yeah. So what does that yeah. mean though? I, that's as far as I learned. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I learned that our brains are functioning in a way that um, that obviously they can function right now. But basically what I learned is that there are different parts of the brain responsible for different things. And when all of them are in overdrive at the same time, um, it, it explains unhealthy behavior. It explains exhaustion. And so basically what I learned is that the different parts of our brain are, are all just overreacting right now or freaking out right now because of the unusual circumstances. And so it made me feel like, oh, this is a problem like for humanity. This is not this is not just singled out to me as a person. It's like, okay, everybody is going through some version of this right now. Some people obviously much more traumatic than others. You know, I want to make a comment on that. We have realized after hearing feedback from some of our friends listening to the podcast and anyone who listens is a friend, um, <laughs> that you have become the educational factor. Uh, <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> I know it is, but, um, you, you kind you kind of go to your Enneagram five and you, you explain and you share context. And so, um, I'm enjoying the fact that I caught you off guard by, by asking you, what does that mean that our brainstem is the first thing to develop? Well, to me, it has, and and you're right. I have no idea. I mean, I've just read things on the internet, much like what you've read about sex. So I I don't know how credible (laughs) it is, but you know, to me, if it's the very first thing that is formed um, in a fetus, when a fetus is growing to me like that, that feels important. It feels like, okay, this is central. Like this is central to everything. This is, this is happening before the heart is developed, you know? And so it's like, wow, that being the case, it's like, I don't know. I think that that's, there's something really special in that. And I I will learn more about it and report back more so I can make our Enneagram fives, um, think that I'm worthy of even brushing near their number. (laughs) Uh, speaking of our brain being important and mental, our mental health right now being important. Um, I was watching the news this morning and, um, Taraji Henson, you would know her. She's an actress. She's been on the show Empire. She was in, uh, what was that movie with the three women who were the NASA um, women that helped create NASA? Or not? Oh, like from like back in the uh, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures, yeah. I so she loved was, that movie. Yeah, so she's in that. Um, yeah, anyway, Taraji Henson, she, I saw her talking about how she in the middle of all this has been really devastated by, um, this disease or virus or whatever it is, um, has obviously been affecting, um, African Americans and all minorities, uh, even more than any other ethnicity. Okay. And, um, can you explain that to me or, or, or maybe I need to read on that too, but I've, I've heard that as well. And I don't understand why. Well, from what I understand, um, from, and again, like my knowledge is so limited, but there was doctors talking about how, um, often in the African-American communities, they already are so predisposed to, um, you know, certain illnesses, whether it's high blood pressure or whatever it is that, because they often have that already where they're pre-diabetic or whatever, it can be more common for them to be susceptible to a virus. Hmm. But back to Taraji. So she has created 
back to mental health, actually, she has created this organization in her father's name and it, they're offering up to five free virtual therapy sessions for African-American communities who are in need of mental health resources. Really? Yeah. So I thought that was so cool. And this morning she talked about how she's personally battled depression and her mm-hmm. father as well. That's why she named it after her father. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out to her because I think it's beautiful when celebrities use their platform to Me do too. good. Me too. And uh, so if you're interested in that or you know anyone that would want to sign up, I went to the website and basically you just have to fill out a form um, to share kind of your situation. But uh, you can text uh, no stigma to 707070 and they're current or if if you would like to give that. I mean, I donated to their organization as well. So either way, I thought you were going to say you donated two (laughs) dollars. I donated $2. Feel free to outspend me. Uh, $2.20. And so you text no stigma to 707070. Yes. Okay. And what is the name of the organization? Her father's name? The name of the organization is the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. Okay. Okay, so um, I was watching the California governor on the news because I have had a week of watching a lot of news, even though I know I need to turn it off. And um, he was talking about how we're going to be living in a world where, you know, for the next year, even where we go to a restaurant and there's going to be half the amount of tables in the room. The waiter's going to be wearing a mask. The menus Mm. could be disposable. And then they kept throwing out this phrase herd immunity. Have you heard that before? I haven't. No. What does that mean? Okay. So I've heard it and I finally just Googled it. Cause I was like, I don't know what this means. So herd as in like a herd of moose, if you will. Okay. <laughs> um, and so herd immunity, I looked it up and it says it's the resistance to the spread of a contagious disease within a population that results in a sufficiently high proportion of individuals immune to the disease, especially through vaccination. So the idea is that ideally in this kind of public health scenario, what we need is herd immunity where we're able to do those antibody tests to know who's already had it. And that ideally that they will be immune, but also where there is a vaccination and you're immune. And then I got thinking about what we've been talking about in relation to asking permission and and um, and not putting your light under a cup. But what's the song? <laughs> Don't put your light under a bushel, I think, is the scripture. <laughs> uh, but what's the song? The song. Bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> this little Hide light of it mine. under a bushel. No. <laughs> anyway, so into that idea, I thought, okay, so with the idea of herd immunity, which is the resistance of a spread of a contagious disease, we need to have a herd community. Oh. Okay. And that okay. would be like the resistance to the spread of dangerous ideas. Oh, that's so good. Like the idea that like the idea was we believe that our intuitions aren't enough or like that still small voice that's whispering. I believe this my whole life, but I'm not sure I do anymore. You know, like in a herd community, you no longer believe just because it's the right thing to believe. You listen to yourself and you're supporting one another 
even if we're not in agreement, like it's a community that respects the differences. I think that that is absolutely brilliant. And I am going to nominate you to be the president of it. Well, I would like to nominate you to be the vice president. Okay, thank you. I, I'm, I'm happy to sit behind you. I mean, a lot of people listening probably already have a handful of people in their life that are already the herd for them. But like, I think about, you know, I mean, you are that you and Sarah and our, we have a handful of friends that are kind of that for one another, but it's like, what if it is an idea of us standing with people who are choosing to make difficult decisions because they're in tune with their own heart, you know, like they're finally walking away from a relationship that's been unhealthy for years or taking a risk on starting an idea that's been knocking on your door for a bunch of years. It's like, it may not be the popular idea, but you cannot contain that something inside of you is saying you need to make this decision. Like those are the kind of people I want to be around. Me too. And I think that it would be so valuable to know much like in like a support group or something like that. Like it's so valuable to know there are other people having common experiences. I don't know why I'm sure that like a psychologist would know this. We really need to have a psychologist on our podcast, but you know, I, I think there's something about understanding that other people are going through a similar journey as you are like, that's really, really comforting. And then alongside that, to have those people cheerlead you, that would be amazing. So I think while herd immunity might be a thing that the herd needs to be a thing. Absolutely. Well, this may be our new community of cat and moose people. So hang tight. We have an idea that we may take an adventure on. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you about something uh, that I've been noticing about myself. Okay. And it's the idea of needing permission to do something. Really? Like, I'll start here. My Enneagram teacher, who started teaching me a lot of the foundations of Enneagram stuff, she always said to me, it's so surprising to me that you're an eight on the Enneagram, but you care so much about what people think. And, um, and she's like, I know you, I know you're an eight. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that. But most of the time eights, they really just don't care what people think. And, um, and is that true? Is it true that eights don't care what people think? Or is it true that because of their actions, we don't perceive that they care what people think? That's my, that's what I think. I think that's what I think too. I think we stuff most things, um, Mm -hmm. especially eights with seven wings. I think, um, yeah, we just keep going. We roll over things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it looks like, oh, well, we're just confident and we aren't concerned. But I think there's a lot of the stuff happening up in our brains of yeah. what are people thinking, you know, that type of thing. I will say, uh, you know, the older you get, the less you care about what people think. Isn't that the truth? And I am loving every day older I am getting for that reason. I, I'm the same way. You know, the fact that my body doesn't function like a normal human is frustrating as I'm getting older. But, you know, I love more and more just going like, I don't care. Like I, I like, like I care, but I don't, I don't care with the gravity that I used to. Exactly. Yeah. You're not losing sleep over what somebody might be whispering about you or whatever. Um, and most of the time they aren't whispering. It's a story we've made up about our friends or our colleagues, but all that to say, 
I think in general, when we feel unqualified, we think we need permission. Um, meaning like if I have an idea and I'm like, man, if, if, you know, talking about necessity breeds invention, um, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I have the greatest idea, whether it's you creating a new product or you building an agency or whatever it is you're doing. We, when we feel unqualified, we start going, oh, what would people think? They would think, Mm -hmm. how do they know what they're doing? How do they Mm -hmm. know how to create this sort of agency? When we have to make hard decisions, we ask ourselves, is it okay to feel this way? You know what I mean? Like, right. Say you have a job offer and, and it, you know, you're just split down the middle of, is this the right thing? It's like, we immediately are like, okay, is it okay that I don't want to make this decision, even though it looks like the right decision on paper, we start questioning ourselves when we have to say no, we ask ourselves like, is that okay that I want to say no? Yeah. Have, have I damaged a relationship by saying no? Like that, that's one of the hardest things for me. I don't have a hard time saying no for like on other people's behalves. Like I don't have a hard time saying no for my clients. I feel like I'm actually quite good at it. But when Kat has to say no to something that like, that I am saying no to, I really, really worry about the relationship to, to the extent that you would think I've never gone to therapy, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, it's this whole idea of like, what we're really saying, in my opinion, is, can I trust myself? Like, Mm. I'm starting to recognize that, like, why do I care so much what people think? And again, I'm not talking about what people think about what I'm wearing. I'm talking about big virtuous ideas of like, if I were and, and here's my ultimate thing, I'm afraid of being found out. Hmm. And I, like you're afraid of people discovering how incredible and amazing you are. No, I'm, well, I'll give you an example. So, um, early in my career, I was in an industry that, um, you know, basically was if you have, it was part of the faith-based side of the industry. And it's like, if you have, if you are a Christian, you are a Republican sort of idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. won this award back in 2007, got up on stage and had no intentions that I was going to win this award. There were definitely people more qualified than me. I just happened to have a good year in all honesty, but I'm standing on stage. And the first thing out of my mouth is you guys, you guys realize I'm a Democrat, right? <laughs> I remember that. I was there when you gave that speech. And I had nothing. It was a political year. It was going into 2008. But um, I'll never forget that because, first of all, I was surprised that's what came out of my mouth. Um, secondly, I was very interested in why that came out of my mouth. And for years, I thought it was just me being funny. And I think I it was very early in my career. And I think I wanted to put a stake in the ground very early Hmm. to say, I am not this cookie cutter thing. Yeah. And not to be defiant, more in honor of myself. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And people to this day bring up that story and go, oh my gosh, I remember when you said that. And what's funny is it was a political year going into a political or into a voting year, but so that was top of mind, but also, um, it wasn't really about being political for me. It was about saying like, 
not everyone looks like you expect them to look. And I right. knew I had a whole lot more than just being a Democrat <laughs> that, <laughs> that could unfold, you know, opinions yeah. that wouldn't be like, you know, popular opinions within that world. And yeah. so, and then, the, and then, so that was, you know, 15 years ago or so. And then leading into the past few years, you know, a lot of people talk about when we question pieces of our faith or, or have questions about why the world operates as it does and, and overlap that with our faith or our spirituality. A lot of people call that deconstruction of your faith. And I think that is true, but I also think it's also a reconstruction because you're, you're looking at the pieces that don't make sense anymore and you're rebuilding Mm -hmm. it. And I know there's a big, big thought and a big, um, assumption in the faith-based world that that is like us handpicking what we want from Christianity or whatever faith it is you're doing that with. And I completely disagree with that. I think it's you being more in touch with yourself and recognizing what doesn't make sense anymore. Well, and I also think too, and and you know, this is a soapbox that I stand on a lot, but who are you? And I'm saying that about anyone. Who are you to tell me 100% with 100% definitive certainty that you have any idea. Right. And you, you you say, because this book says this, well, yes. I mean, I, I happen to believe that too, but to actually like to hold that against someone or to hold judgment against someone or how they're processing their faith, because you definitively know, like, I think that is so arrogant. I do too. And beyond arrogant, I think it's ignorant. And I, and that's what Mm. concerns me is, um, I'm all about having faith. Like faith is about believing things are going to be okay. Eventually. I think, you know, faith is trusting that things will work out and I'm all for that. But I also think it's, it is almost irresponsible of us as humans to, to believe the same things that we believed when we were younger. Right. Right. I, I agree with that 100%. And I would be curious to hear from our listeners on what their opinions are about this, because I know there's a lot of strong opinions out there, but it's like, you know, do you think that we have the ability to definitively know, do you think that, our faith should stay the same from young to old. We would love to hear from you. Hello at cat and I think about, um, my, my brothers. So, uh, I have two brothers and they are 15 and 20 years older than me. And my mom had my oldest brother when she was very young and didn't have me and my sister until 15 and 20 years later. And my brother always says, you guys had a very different mom than we had growing up. And mm-hmm. I always thought that was so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I remember at first like asking and, and he was like, well, she was in her twenties. Like she was still right. figuring out life, you know? Yeah. And then I, I at 12 years old broke down, had a full on panic attack when my mom turned 50. Why? The, my mom was the only consistent person in my life growing up. And I thought 50 was really old. <laughs> at 12 years old. And so I full on had a panic attack, but think about it. Like I, my mom had me when she was almost 39. And so you think about the difference of yourself that in those 20 year span, and you think about Mm -hmm. that from a life perspective, of course we think differently than we did when we were in our twenties. And so to that point, 
not just with spirituality or religion or things like that, but our, our views on things change. We experience, um, more people. So our biases change, um, you know, all those type of things to that point, 20 years difference. I should have a different mom than they have. Yeah. And, yeah. and all that to say back to the idea of permission, I am like, I'm at a place where I am exhausted by constantly thinking I'm going to be found out. Uh, so, you know, Marianne Williamson, most people came to know her as a presidential candidate. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I, I knew her as a writer before anything else and, and, uh, influencer. And I know a lot of people kind of brushed her off as like this kooky, let's love everyone. And that will fix all politics. But mm-hmm. I, I think she's incredibly insightful. So, um, I wanted to share this piece in relation to permission and fear. Oh, nice. Let's hear it. Okay. She says our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure It is our light, Mm -hmm. not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a Mm. child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. That is absolutely stunning and incredible. I love that. Isn't that I think so that is amazing. Really- it is. That is so amazing. And it reminds me of, um, we've talked about before that, that my kind of life mission statement is to beckon dreams to existence. It's really something that I feel like I'm just, I've been handcrafted to do. I really love to hear about and, and try to get my head around people's dreams and then, you know, cheerlead them on and, and not necessarily quote unquote, help them achieve them. Sometimes I do, but it's more about like creating an environment where they can achieve their own greatness you know? Right. And I went through this season a few years ago where, um, you and I hadn't partnered up business wise and I was kind of on my own leading my company and I I had two employees, but I didn't have like a, a quote unquote business partner. And I was really struggling with that. And so I ended up hiring several freelance people for different jobs to kind of go, okay, maybe this person is that person. And maybe this person is that person. And as I did that over the course of about two years, um, everybody eventually quit and moved on to do other things. And I was just devastated because I'm like, am I just so terrible to work with that nobody wants to stick around? That's really what I took away um, from these different people going on to do bigger and better things than they would have done being a part of my company. And uh, one of the people, one of those people, and actually every single one of them since then has told me this, is they said, Kat, it has nothing to do with us not wanting to work with you. It has everything to do with you are the only person who created an environment for me to like work out my potential to work out my dreams and you creating that environment gave me the confidence to actually believe I could go do it. 
That's amazing. And that really, it really impacted me because I thought, well, that's exactly what I want to do. Like, I want to create an environment where you can be your best, you know? And, and the way that I received that is it was like, I've basically got all these people who hate working with me. And it's like, no, Kat, like you've actually been successful. And that kind of speaks to the, the quote that you just read is that who are we not to do that? And why are we so unconvinced that we're meant to do that? Like, like, why is that such a, like, why did it take two years and people having to tell me over and over and over that I created a good environment for them for me to even remotely think I could actually do it? Mm, why is so that? So good. I don't know. I think it's our nature to, uh, we pay more attention to the darkness instead of the light. Man, so true. What a good word. Will you read that again? Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. And let me say what that freaking means. Back to the point of people feeling more comfortable when everyone believes the same thing. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? That is not reality. You may have created <laughs> your own freaking bubble to make that feel like reality, whether that's your church or your AA group or your satanic ritualism hobby. <laughs> I don't know. But what I'm saying is if you just stay in that bubble, it's an, it's a false security. And when you are only friends with people who believe what you believe, that's on you, boo. <laughs> Come on, preach. Okay. I'm done preaching. That is my favorite thing I think you've ever said. Like, I, I think that's, it's so good. I mean, come on. Ooh, so good. So Kat good. just pounded her chest. And I'm going to pinch my. <laughs> <laughs> I am pounding my chest. And I really think for our listeners out there who just heard you read that, I think we need to create space. Actually, we're going to create space. Read that line for me one more time. And then if you're listening, I want you to say that line out loud and have the confidence burst open within you to actually live it out. Say it again. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel secure around you. Repeat after me. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking to become a small person for the people <laughs> around you. <laughs> what she means is... There is nothing about you, therefore shrinking, insecurity will not be yours and the security of the love that the Father brings. Amen. And now we will pass out wine and loaves of bread and Kat will be multiplying thy fish. Producer Sarah Reed. To find out more, go to catandmoosepodcast.com.
a BP production.